Hey there, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Appreciate the fact that you guys have stomached Keith and I for as long as you have. We enjoy bringing the show your way and appreciate your patronage. Want to remind you, by the way, that the season ticket renewal deadline is rapidly approaching. It's in mid-April, April 15th. If you haven't renewed your season tickets for football, go ahead and do so for the 2022 season. A lot to like based on what we've seen so far at spring practice. For all the information, go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets. Uh, that's if you're going to renew. Or if you want to get tickets for the first time, you can get a reserve seat for all home games. Uh, they range in price from 330 bucks to 800 bucks uh, all in, depending on the seat location. Again, Seminoles.com backslash tickets to answer those questions as we count it down to the 2022 campaign. That said, let's count it down to the start of Front Row Knowles, which is right now. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Mr. Jones, sir, how are you? I am doing well, doing well. Had a great Easter weekend. I hope you and your family and our listeners did as well. We did. We spent 48 hours in NOLA, which is not enough, and certainly a very condensed weekend, which led to a late arrival back home Easter night, which led to late departures for school and work on Monday, but it is what it is. It was worth the effort, and it was a good time had by all. Understood. I, I need you to do me a favor, and I know that you have already taken this oath, but for our listeners' sake, I need you to repeat after me. I, Keith Jones, do solemnly swear. I, Keith Jones, do solemnly swear. That in regard to recruiting. That in regard to recruiting. I will not let myself. I will not let myself. Get excited about a prospect. Get excited about a prospect. Until not only is. Until not only, and then you kicked out on me, but whatever that word is too. On campus. On campus. But he has dressed out and I have watched him participate in a game. But he has dressed out and I have actually watched him participate in a game. And it appears that he is going to live up to the hype. And. It appears he is going to live up to the hype. It's a simple mantra. If we could all live by it, Keith, we could take deep breaths and everything would be fine. We wouldn't have to hyperventilate. We wouldn't have to get all excited and then all depressed. We could just go about our daily lives. Well, actually, that was just a recommitment on my part because I made that vow about 25 years ago. Well, that's that's how I started, and I've been that way since the 90s, too. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with Mike Norvell or the current staff. It has everything to do with the nature of recruiting. And FSU, even in the dynasty days, when every class was a top five or top ten class, there were big fish who got away, and there were big fish who came in, and it turned out, they weren't quite as big a fish as we thought on the day they signed, and that's just the way it works. As Coach Jim Gladden would say, he came in as a big fish, and he ended up being a guppy. <laughs> I haven't heard Jim say that, but that, that makes the point. <laughs> that illustrates the point. I don't mean to make light of it. It certainly would have been nice to have a Darius Mims line up at one of the tackle spots. That whole offensive line would have felt much better. But, alas, 
he returned to Georgia and Florida State has to turn the page and move on. And that's all you can do. Turn the page, move on. I do think that FSU will try to get a couple linemen, at least one more in the portal, maybe two, just depends on who identifies and raises their hand that they're in the portal. And that's all you can do. Well, it just speaks to what we've been saying, you know, you and I both on this show for the last 10 years and in our, gosh, almost 30 years of working together, you know, you're baking, you're making career decisions uh, based on the whims and the wishes of 17 and 18 year olds. And now with the portal, it's 17 to 24 years olds or 17 to 23 year olds. And it's just increased the pot, but the human nature aspect of it has stayed the same. Kids are kids. That's what they are. Uh, you and I were once uh, kids as well, and that's the way it works. It's the way it works, and there were extenuating circumstances apparently, but the bottom line is the bottom line. We will have Bob Frante join us later on. We'll talk a little bit more about that and what FSU might do in the portal here. As we have reached the point, Keith, I haven't counted the days down yet. I actually don't know the first day FSU will practice this fall. But because the season kicks off the last week in August, I suspect that football practice will actually kick off in July. I'm going to ballpark it, at, and I'm not looking at a calendar. Let's say July 26th. I'll just throw that out there. But I have let's no just idea. say the last week of July. And the I last think we'd be pretty week safe. of July. So, so we have April to May, May to June, June to July. We have three months, Keith. Twelve of these shows, twelve times, maybe thirteen. We're going to have to get together talk about the fact that it's not yet football season. Can we handle it? Uh, we've done it previously, Tom. I don't know if you'll recall that. Maybe your CRS is kicking in, but uh, we've done that previously in years past. You know, my CRS ratchets up a degree every year. As, and you have, you have, you've clued me in that that's the way that was going to go. And, and that is in <laughs> fact happening. <laughs> I appreciate you being the, the front, the leader in that as, as always. It wasn't by design. Well, it wasn't by choice. It was only by design. So I mentioned Bob Frante from the Osceola will join us. We'll, we'll talk football. The baseball team had as good a week as you can have last week. Boy, didn't, they, Keith, didn't they? As Keith and I are recording, they're uh, at it again. And, uh, but we'll, we'll get to baseball a little bit later in the program. Uh, we're going to do something different. We haven't done this in a while, but oftentimes, as good as Florida State has been in basketball and baseball and football, there's times when the best student athlete on campus happens a lot of the times is not from the big three sports. I Correct. mean, Dana, Dana Castellanos was one for soccer. You could pick some Ray Jones golfers over the years. Jesse Warren for softball. Jesse Warren for softball. Uh, maybe we could ask Bob this question, but in the conversation would be Trey Cunningham from the men's track and field team, who's a national champion hurdler, just missed the Olympic team last year, but he's got the number one time in the world right now outdoors in his event, and he's going to join us in our next segment. Uh, he's an, an accomplished or as accomplished just about as anybody who's gone through Bob Brayman's program, and I, I look forward to that conversation. And by the way, that fastest in the world was in his first outdoor meet. Well, that's the way I always geared up, Keith. There was no rush oh. to shake off. I just oh. went out in the first practice and set a PR. I mean, that was I would, standard. I would like to know when that's been done because that, that usually takes a little while. So Trey Cunningham will join us next, and then we'll continue the conversation and bounce back to football with Bob Frante. Stay with us. We are just getting started here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. 
Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block and Keith Jones. Really pleased to have our next guest join us. Uh, Trey wouldn't know this. This is Trey Cunningham from the FSU track and field team. We actually were planning to get you lined up. I guess it would have been March of 2020 leading into, the, I think, the NCAA uh, indoor championships. And that was when COVID shut the world down. So it's been two years, but uh, I know you're excited that you've been back at it. And uh, uh, congratulations on getting that championship a couple months ago. And thanks for joining us. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I, let's let's start there. I mean, given how decorated your career has been, uh, to not have that elusive national championship until the indoor season just wrapped up, did, did, did that feel like a, a monkey off your back there to some degree? I would say so. I mean, I've been chasing it since I've been in college. Um, I would say there was some relief, but uh, it also made me very, very hopeful for what I have to come. Trey, for our listeners that might not be aware, and I had to do my own research, that indoor title is a 60-meter event. And just this past week's game, you competed in the first outdoor, and that's a 110-meter event. That's a little different than maybe our listeners would understand how those uh, those events work. Yeah, it's a totally different ballgame. So the 60-meter hurdles indoors, it has – five hurdles and it is i think a total of 24 steps maybe 23 uh it's super quick and then outdoors that's still quick but it's 10 hurdles over 110 meters and it's done in about 13 seconds depending on how fast you run you prepare differently for the two meets or just put your head down and stay about five more seconds (laughs) (laughs) at this point it's just keep your head down but i mean there's a different tactic to run the 110s. Like you got to be able to maintain your speed for a little bit longer. So it's not just a go as hard as you can for seven seconds. It's all about like phasing it out just a little bit so you can finish really strong. Again, for our listeners that may not have been keeping up, uh, that uh, 110 that Trey ran last weekend is the fastest time in the world this year and the 10th fastest time in the history of the NCAA. And, oh, by the way, you did that in your first meet. I thought you were supposed to wait and do that towards the tail end of the season. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to, but we're trying to do something special this year. So you got to start out really fast to end with a bang. (laughs) Well, to that end, and and you've always – I mean, you've been highly successful since you arrived at FSU – Maybe it's maturity. Maybe it's as as physically you're developing more, you're getting a little bit older. Or have you changed technique at all? And uh, to what do you attribute, you know, starting that well? Uh, the, the time you ran at the indoors was the second fastest time in NCAA history. Obviously, you really have honed your craft. Yeah, I think uh, it's just kind of all this training that I've culminated over these years. It's kind of, like, kind of coming to fruition. Uh, I always tell people the hurdles are a grown man's race. Like we're the oldest average at the Olympics. Like everyone else is two years younger. So, I mean, it's definitely technique and speed. It's not just raw speed. So as you do more of it, it's easier to do it. And you get more comfortable going over a 42 inch barrier. <laughs> like what drew, drew you to that? I mean, I know obviously in high school, you were a sprinter, uh, but what what was the reason you opted for the hurdle? I don't know. I was just drawn to it. Uh, it might have been like when I was younger. So our elementary school was right up against the track. 
and they would just let us go out there and run. And I thought it was just fun to jump over it. Not even hurdle, just jump over. I was like in third grade jumping over hurdles. But my aunt ran hurdles and when she was in high school and was telling about like her stuff. So I don't know if that just stuck in the back of my brain when I was younger. And then when I got to middle school, I was like, oh, I want to run at solid objects and make this fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't ask you this when we were talking about the NCAA indoors, but you're from uh, Winfield, Alabama. And I guess the indoors were, I think, in Birmingham. I don't know how far apart those are, but your home state. And I imagine you had a lot of family and friends there. That must have added an extra layer to being able to celebrate that win. I mean, it was definitely fun to do it in front of all those people. I would say it was upwards of 50 people there that I would have known, um, family and friends, and then people who just came to meet like that place that facility the crossplex in Birmingham did a great job in high school and like supported me the entire time so I was just glad to do it there we talked with a number of athletes from different sports and uh, going through the pandemic we're what 24 25 months into this thing what's what's been your biggest adjustment what's what's been the biggest thing you've had to overcome as you've gotten prepared to get back into competition? So I think track has the luxury of this. Uh, we're kind of an individual sport until you put us all together. So I just think it kind of strengthened what I had to do to like make myself a better hurdler and a track athlete, which is believe in myself that I can do it when the world is basically coming to an end. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, COVID taught me that things will get better, um, even when it's rough. I mean, that was a rough patch. Like, competition was just taken away, and that's one of the joys I have in my life. So I'm just glad to be back doing it. Well, it was, it was taken away in 2020, and then you were injured last year uh, in 21. And, and I'm curious, despite being injured, and really, I, I forget the time frame, but you probably missed the last six weeks of training up to the outdoor championships or, or maybe the Olympic trials I'm thinking of, uh, you might've missed the outdoor championships, but then you, you came within a whisker, even without training of making the Olympic team. So yeah. was, was that bittersweet in a way, obviously bitter that you didn't make the team, but, but maybe sweet and that you realized what your potential was. Yeah. I would say like the experience last year, getting hurt and having to miss the NCAA championships. It taught me a lot about like, my mental capacity of what I could do. Um, we went out there to the U S championships and hadn't gone over a hurdle in a month. And we went out there, went over some hurdles like the day before and put it together. Um, I was lucky to have a great medical team who didn't let me quit. <laughs> they were like, you're getting on that plane. You deserve to go. You ran the time. So just go be you. Whatever happens, happens. We'll be there to support you. So I, I think that helped me the most. Like now I can walk to the line and know that I can get it done when I need to. We're talking with Trey Cunningham from the Florida State track and field team. I, I'm always curious when you're running and you you mentioned it's, you know, it's 7.38, I think, or 13 seconds. What, what do you count steps? What goes through your mind as you're going between <laughs> hurdles? Is it, and how many steps is it between like what, for that 13 and a half seconds, 13 seconds, what, what goes through your mind? So it was funny. I was like describing this to some of the distance runners. So they have like five minutes or 13 minutes to do their event. So they have time to like adjust like the pace and stuff. 
And I was telling him like, I'm telling myself to go or like pull my lead leg earlier and stuff. Like I have time as well. It's like time slows down a little bit. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Like everyone approaches it differently. Um, mine's usually just like execute one or two things that I know will help me run faster. Trey, what's the season look like? Where are you progressing? What's going to happen over the summer? What's mapped out the next three or four or five months for you? So as of right now, I have four more college competitions on the schedule. So I have one at North Florida next week, and then I'm running every two weeks from here on out. So we'll go to North Florida, and then it'll be conference at Duke. Then we'll go to regionals at Indiana, and then NCAAs at Eugene. And then from there, I'll move on to professional ranks and go to U.S. championships to get a spot for the world championships in July. And then wherever they send me to go run after that. I think I, I understand this is the first time ever the world championships are, are in Eugene. So you're going to have NCAA championships, Olympic trials, and the world championships all at the same track, if I'm correct. is uh, How advantageous is that? Yeah, that's correct. I need to make a small residency claim in Eugene, Oregon. Um, <laughs> but it's home turf. It's the U.S. We got to show out. That's that's how it is. Um, we should have a strong showing. Uh, the U.S. hurdles are pretty pretty deep right now. So we've got a chance to do something really special at the World Champs in July. You talk about um, ending up your career and finishing out. You, you've been here a while uh, as opposed to basketball. You're not a one-and-done kind of guy. Um, just talk about what Tallahassee's meant to you and what foundation it may lay as you continue on with your professional career once you get through here uh, intercollegiately. I mean, Tallahassee feels like home. I plan on staying here after I finish college and continuing to train. So, yeah, I'll be around. Uh, as long as y'all have me, I'll be here. <laughs> I mentioned before we started recording, I know uh, Coach Matt Kane, who works with the uh, the hurdlers and I guess the women's sprinters for the track program. He, he wants me to ask, what's the best place to eat in Winfield, Alabama? Oh, um, hmm. the best place. Well, my dad cooks a really good steak, so I would say my house. Um but we have a really good Chinese restaurant. <laughs> oh, he's lo he's losing his bet. He said he's almost sure that you'll say a gas station. I mean, the gas station food is like par none. Uh, my cousin goes out to actually she goes to school in Eugene. She's at Oregon. And she said she misses gas station food all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to report back that you actually went with a Chinese restaurant over, over yeah, gas station food there. That Chinese buffet is something else, man. It's so good. Like <laughs> <laughs> you got to understand Tom and I don't get allowed been into a buffet, but one time after that, it's a la carte, a la carte okay. only after that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Trey, congratulations on the success you've had at uh, Florida state thus far. And I, I know you've got a, a big finish ahead of you. And uh, and a lot of success ahead, you know, for many years after this, I would think, on the professional circuit. But uh, we appreciate what you've done and uh, glad to hear it's been a good experience and best of luck to you. Thanks for having me. Trey Cunningham from the Florida State Track and Field Program. And uh, we, we appreciate him joining us. Keith, I don't know that I've ever asked you this. Did you ever compete in track and field before you were uh, playing quarterback at Wildwood High School? 
they put me in the uh, five, uh, the 400 meters. So back then it was a 440-yard thing, and they gave me a lantern and a lunch and said they'd meet me back for breakfast. <laughs> I, I'm not buying that for a second, Keith, because you were athletic, and, and you probably did run track and were probably on the, on the uh, relay teams and all that, weren't you? Well, I did run a little, but I, I, I tell you, I, I, I don't come anywhere close to what Clay can do. And the way he's done it has just been remarkable. And uh, I, you know, track and field, not the biggest spectator sport in the world, but you need to keep your eye on that young man. He's going to be something special for years to come. Meanwhile, my track career, I ran distance, which is another way of saying you're not fast enough to run the sprints. You know, I don't know why else you get into distance, but that was my story. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back, and Bob Frante from the Osceola will join us. We'll uh, round out the conversation with more Florida State athletics coming up right after this on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ back with you. And our Osceola insider, Bob Frante, joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Bob, I posed this question at the start of the show, so we'll ask you. You're the you're the resident expert. Who is the best, most talented student athlete currently on campus? And might it be the gentleman we just interviewed, Trey Cunningham? Yeah, I was going to say I wasn't the resident expert, but um, yeah, I mean Trey Cunningham's pretty uh, pretty darn well accomplished. You know, a, a national champion, what a five time ACC champion. And um, I believe he just was honored at the Golden Knoll Awards last week. And it was, it was him and Jalen Howell who were the, the men's and women's recipients of those awards. Now that Jalen's off to pro soccer and, and scoring goals for the U.S. national team, I think you might have to have a good argument for Trey Cunningham. Yeah, let, well, let's, let's expand that a little bit. So who else would be in the conversation right now if we think – I mean, Jermaine Johnson is not – Maybe he's on campus. I don't know if we count him or not at this point. He's going to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. Uh, Parker Messick, maybe, on the baseball team. And I'm probably doing a disservice to whoever Trey Jones has got and Amy Bond in terms of their top student-athletes right now. I don't know. Who are are we missing there? Yeah, I think you could make a good case for a star on the rise that Trey Jones has in, in, in Frederick. I'm not going to pronounce his last name correctly. Uh, is it Jitterup? But he, he his scoring average is down significantly. He's been the co-ACC men's golfer of the month in February and March. And they're going to play in the ACC championships over in Panama City uh, starting Friday. So he's he's kind of a guy on the rise. I think you'd, you'd want to look to. And, and honestly, we, we can't forget about, you know, Kat Sandercock, Sidney Sherrill, a lot of candidates over there in, in softball. Um, just just a, a really good high quality campus from across all 20 sports. Yeah, certainly Trey, Trey would be in the conversation and thank you for pointing back to softball. And I'm sure there's, you know, four or five other names on soccer too, that we could, we could throw in there. Right. All right. So let's, uh, one of the names that's not in the conversation uh, because he decided to go back to the university of Georgia would be a certain offensive lineman that didn't land at uh, Florida state. So uh, Keith and I sort of, uh, well, we, we made our listeners recite an oath at the top, which basically the, the, the Cliffs notes is 
Uh, I solemnly swear to not get excited about recruiting or a recruit until he's actually on campus and I've seen him play and it seems like he might measure up to the hype. Uh, the second tenet, which we didn't go over, which Keith and I have previously, Keith, you want to share it right now or you want me to, to offer it? The bigger the hype, the less the performance. Now, that's not always true, but quite often uh, in this internet age, we build people up to here and then we see them and they're okay, but it's hard to live up to what we've created. But anyway, more to the point. So where does Florida State turn? What do you, what do you expect? Not just OL, but in general over the next few weeks, uh, however long they want to go. I guess, you know, with, with the voluntary workouts they do, you'd want to get somebody here maybe for the first half of the summer, but certainly by the second half of the summer. Yeah, it's, it gets a little bit tricky counting scholarships overall, but we've seen some guys go in the transfer portal both during spring practice afterwards. You know, Kobe Groves just going in um, on Tuesday, so there are some spots opening up, and, and that can be a good thing for both, you know, young men are looking for opportunities elsewhere, and Coach Norvell who's still kind of finding out um, where he wants to add guys. Is it a quarterback? Is it an offensive lineman? Plus, you've got that new sort of wrinkle where you can go beyond your 25 signees to 32. And then you get into some compliance weeds that we, we may not want to dive too deeply into. But I, I do think you're, you're answering all phone calls from quarterbacks, offensive linemen, potentially um, a couple of defensive guys here and there. I, I do like where Florida State is on defense, um, especially when you see a, a Jared Verse and a Tatum Bethune. You feel like you've you've inserted two productive leaders into what you're trying to do on defense. But, you know, Coach Norvell is going to upgrade this roster in any way possible. And I think that's that's what you're going to be looking to as spring games are wrapping up across the country. Guys are going to be having conversations with coaches, and you have to hope those are honest conversations about what, what the future is with that program, or do they need to look elsewhere? Well, probably not a fair question. Uh, we probably would need to get a collection of people together and come up with a consensus. But I personally was somewhat uh, taken aback that Georgia would welcome Mims back, even with all the hype. Uh, I haven't experienced very many schools that had particularly five stars that entertained the portal and then were welcome back to where they started from. Was that unusual? Is that a different take? Is there a story there that maybe we don't know about or D all the above? Yeah, I think some combination of the above. It, it sounds like the way he left Georgia was was agreeable to all parties to, to start with. And, you know, there, there was a situation where he, he lost a good friend, a high school teammate. And I, I think um, there was a feeling of, of wanting to be close to home that he, he felt like Georgia – was a family and you know as much as Mike Norvell and, and the staff and the players the offensive lineman here rolled out the red carpet and treated Amarius really well he, he decided that Georgia was was still a good spot for him to be I, I think when you look back at this really big picture where are you comfortable at 19 to 20 years of age where do you feel playing time is available um, Georgia has a new offensive line coach um, they were seeking Alex Atkins, literally. Um, so there's a lot of different pieces here with this equation. I remember when the portal really started to heat up, we would run in a lot of stories, you know, within as a disclaimer almost, but as a reminder, truly, 
that players can opt to return to their school if the coach chooses to have them back. You know, once they go in the portal, I feel like the obligation of the coach is no longer there to retain the player. But if you're if you're parting under agreeable terms, it does seem like that is an opportunity. It's just not one that we see as often anymore. It seems like it's almost a shut door nowadays. Well, to that end, Bob, recruiting is different now because in the old days, meaning like even two years ago, right? If somebody didn't sign with you, you weren't necessarily concerned about keeping a positive, good relationship. Nowadays, even Mims, I mean, he could be back in the portal again after this season, right? I mean, you you just want to keep the relationship open and good. I I think we're seeing that, uh, especially in a transparent way on social media. It's very pleasant in how a prospect says, really appreciate such and such staff and and the the players and the administration, my teammates, I, I love everyone, but this is what's best for me is to move on. Everything is in some ways you're protecting your brand publicly while looking for your next landing spot. So I think you're, you're trying not to air your laundry in places where you don't want another coach or administrator or fan base to see it. Um, and I will say specific to Amarius, he hasn't done interviews. It's really hard to get insight into what he's thinking because he he's opted through a very difficult time, obviously, not to do interviews. And at some point down the road, I hope he does. I hope he kind of explains why George is the right fit, what what was the motive for coming to Florida State. Just curious. Um, but again, Florida State was his one visit. He didn't go anywhere else. It didn't work out. I, I think if you're looking at some positives, um, you know, Florida State put out the red carpet for a high-caliber prospect. They were the one visit. Um, if we're getting into the NIL part of the equation, rising spear, you know, we're, we're getting into some difficult areas where we speak toward what a recruit might be offered. But it, it seems like Amarius was interested in what NIL opportunities were available to him. And, and rising spear was able to at least have a conversation. How far down the road did they get? Don't know. But if anything, this is a good exercise because this is going to happen quite a bit. We're going to see a lot of high school prospects, portal prospects, kind of figuring out what's best for them and and not just teammates and coaching staffs and campus and what degree can I get, but they're going to be curious about NIL. And, and that's part of the picture now. And I think we're starting to see what, what Rising Spear and the Warpath 850 can offer. Changing gears, Bob, not a bad, bad week for baseball last week. I know uh, Meat's got to be real pleased with uh, with how his team has performed of late. It was a really tough two and seven slump where I think just about everybody up and down that lineup was struggling. And then going to that Florida game, you're wondering what's going to happen. And, and what happens is you, you basically get a, a a really incredible performance from from a full bullpen because they had to go nine innings when, when Jonas Scalaro is, is kind of your opener. And then you're hosting a number nine team in Louisville that's averaging about 10 runs a game. And, and the pitching staff, to, to be able to string together some impressive starts there, of course, Parker was, was electric with 14 strikeouts. You know, Bryce has been really good. And, and now we're seeing, uh, you know, Meade's going to go with Carson Montgomery as, as the number three slash Sunday starter. 
So I think he's kind of figuring out how it best works within the bullpen. Um, I'm sorry, within the starting rotation. And then of course the midweek guy, that's a, that's a question mark, but we're seeing some positives out of this team. Um, that, that was really a almost team wide slump, which I think is unusual to see, but it is something that we've seen Florida state teams going back to 2017, 2019, they have problems in April or May, sometimes both. And, and they just kind of pull the pieces together. So I think it's inherent to the craziness of, of baseball. It's a sport we love, but, but slumps are just part of the game and you got to kind of ride through it. What becomes a Ross Dunn, do you think? I'm curious if he's not the midweek guy now, or do you look at him as he's got incredible stuff, like a 97-mile-per-hour fastball? Do you look at him as a potential closer? Is he a guy who can just be a lights-out, not just ninth-inning guy, not just get me three outs? I think Meat likes a guy who can dip into that eighth inning and grab you four or five outs. He's he's got some pretty incredible stuff, and not to knock Jonah, because he's he's had his good moments in various roles. But is Jonah a better setup type, a better seventh, eighth inning guy? And then you can just bring out Ross Dunn throwing ninety seven in the ninth. It's an interesting theory moving forward if if that's where Meat tends to go. They're almost opposites, though, because Scalaro doesn't have the, the the greatest stuff compared to Dunn, but he's got better command. And so that would be my question about Dunn. When you look at where he's gotten in trouble on, at the front end, if you're bringing him in in a tight game, you one-run lead, you can't be walking the tying run, that sort of thing. I mean, you, the only way you're going to know is you gotta you got to put him in that situation and find out, right? Yeah, and it, you know, you're going up to Clemson, which is not the ideal um, sort of place to just test out things in a lab on on a field in that kind of crowd situation. But you do have to kind of feel, get a feel for where these guys best fit. I, I don't think, I think at this point you have to figure out Jonah's a veteran arm. Where is he best suited? Ross is a younger arm, still kind of growing within his career. Next year, he might be a starter again, even though you're trying him out as a closer here. But in those pressure situations, um, does he just feel kind of free to throw as fast, as hard as he wants? It, it, it's, it's, it's all great debate, but he's too good of an arm not to be using in some, in some situations, just a question of where. Offensively, uh, they put some runs across. Can they can they continue that? Because that was something, obviously, not any great observation on my part, but something they weren't doing in that two and seven stretch. Yeah, I, I think one advantage is you're getting Tyler Martin back, and he's had some shoulder issues. I, I don't know if he's going to be a guy you can say is consistently going to be in the lineup, but when he's in the lineup in the leadoff spot, he's a guy who gets on base, and that just sets the table for everybody. I love the way you know Jaime Ferrer attacks the ball and just has has an all out athletic mentality. You know is aggressive on the base paths. Um, Alex Terrell strikes out at a very high rate, but when he hits a baseball, it's as hard and as far as we have seen baseballs hit in Tallahassee in a long time. So they they've certainly got pieces and they're they are productive right now. Um, I like the lineup. I'm concerned about the strikeouts. At times, they've struggled with runners in scoring position. That's That's been an issue where they're just not able to advance a guy from second or third. So 
there are some questions. It's not a consistent lineup, but again, I don't think baseball is. So um, some positives I think that have come away from the last week for sure though. On the other diamond, do we see the softball team as a lock to host a regional and a super regional if they get there, given the body of work so far, even though they, you know, they've struggled is not the word. Yeah, they're only winning series two to one. They're not, you know, sweeping people and outscoring them by 33. Well, and the week prior when Virginia Tech won, that was the day of the spring game when the wind was blowing 35 miles an hour. So every pop-up was a home run. Uh, I think in different conditions, that series might go differently. I I think the expectations were through the roof when you go down to Clearwater and you're playing all those top 25 teams and it's crazy crowds and, and they just, they beat everybody. So you're expected to beat everybody, even the midweek opponents, you're expected to sweep. And that's just not the reality of the ACC with softball. You've got some really good teams, Virginia Tech, Clemson. I mean, there's going to be a ton of national TV games with the Florida State-Clemson series, which I I think is really cool to showcase the sport. Um, You know, in in a pitching-dominated sport, Florida State has pitching. And and it starts with Kat Sandercock and and her career 71-6. and That, that that tells you that she's putting you in positions to win games. And, and she's had some moments, yeah, against Virginia Tech and some others where, you know, she didn't have her best stuff. But if you're really looking at depth of, of a pitching staff, one, two, and then even deeper, they've got it. You know, they've, they've got the type of, of staff that you're, you're easily going to be hosting a regional. I think you're going to be top eight. Um, it's a great venue for hosting. You know, Florida State's shown that. So I think I think the route to get to Oklahoma City is to not go through Baton Rouge and not to play in Baton Rouge. You'd much rather host LSU or some other SEC team, as it often seems to play out in, in a super regional. And I think they're putting themselves in a good position so far to, to do just that. He knows all things FSU. He's our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Uh, you can subscribe, by the way, for just six ninety five a month at theosceola.com. Bob, appreciate it. Take care, guys. See you, Bob. Thank you, as always. We'll put the wraps on this show right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, that was the probably the meatiest baseball discussion we've had in a while. The baseball team is back at it tonight against Georgia Southern. Uh, I mentioned earlier, as Keith and I were recording the show, that uh, and we're recording on Tuesday night, that the baseball team was playing. That was inaccurate. The softball team was playing. Baseball plays Georgia Southern tonight. Softball, as I speak, is three outs away from defeating uh, Stetson and staying in the win column. But, but Keith, what, what's your thoughts on, on baseball? I don't know how often you've been out there, but uh, – you know, two weeks, two weeks ago, everybody had written them off last week. Now we got them going back, back to Omaha. That's the nature of the sport. That was what I was going to say. And we've been saying it for 50 or 100 years now and maybe longer than that. Uh, you know, it's a game of streaks. It's so important to get hot at the right time. It's an individual game that's played as, as, as a team. So certain players can get hot. They can get cold. They can pick each other up. I mean, you see Messick. You know, two, three weeks ago, he doesn't even last through three innings. And then the next time out against the number nine ranked team in the country, he strikes out 14. So 
you know, it's it's a game of streaks, and uh, that's why you play so many games. Indeed. Next week, Keith, we get to turn our attention to the uh, NFL draft. Are you prepared? Have you done your homework? I know we have uh, Jermaine Johnson possibly being drafted, and other than that, I'm clueless. I told you before we started recording that I guess it was – Giants digital media. I'm not really sure who it was. They appeared to work for the Giants, but I did a show earlier this week and and I warned them in advance. They wanted to talk about FSU prospects, specifically Jermaine, uh, obviously most notably, but a couple others. And I said, look, I can tell you what he did about it at FSU, but I am not studying every defensive end that is currently in the class. And I can't give you a comparison or tell you whether or not the Giants should take him with one of their first two picks in the in the top 10 overall, that sort of thing. So of course, what do they ask me? Should the Giants take him with this pick right here? <laughs> so yes. Just, yes. Next yes, question. Exactly. Well, that's how you would have handled it, Keith, and that's why you're you and I'm me. Well, you, uh, based on conversations we've had off air, you you comported yourself well. You you did the two things that you always have to remember to do in broadcasting. Number two speak eloquently with big words and then speak authoritatively, and then people believe you. Oh, and number three is don't answer the question that was initially asked. I mean, well, we that's all know a given. That. We don't even have to list that yeah, one. That's we, like we, that's like uh, coming home late and having to uh, be in, uh, in a conversation with your spousal unit. <laughs> all right, Keith, we are uh, out of time. Uh, maybe we'll focus on the draft next week as as the show will precede it by a day. But uh, I appreciate it as always. Thanks to Trey Cunningham for joining us. Uh, if you missed that interview, go back and listen to it. Uh, Bright kid, great athlete, and uh, probably a future world champion and Olympian. But we're out of time. Keith, we'll do it again next week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.